Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. This is the podcast where I am doing an episode-by-episode recap of the beloved 1980s sitcom The Facts of Life. My name is David Almeida, and I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida. What I do is I invite over an artist friend to watch an episode, then I hit record and we get into it, talking about the show and anything and everything else that it may inspire us to discuss. This week's episode is a very special episode. I know you've heard it on TV so many times before, but this really and truly is a very special episode because, number one, it deals with drugs. Drugs at Eastland. Oh, no. You can never go wrong with pairing very special episodes with drugs. Number two, it's the season finale. Number three, it's the season one finale. Folks, we are at the end of season one. I have been dreaming of this day for so long. Well, well, for 13 weeks anyway. It's about to be over and I am so excited. But really, the most important thing that makes this episode a very special episode is my very special guest, James Brendlinger. He's a first guest who's not an actor, but he's well-known and beloved by the theater community as an educator, as a writer, producer, director, disc jockey. Uh, He just recently opened his own independent school, theater, and costume shop in Oviedo, Florida. That's just one town east of Orlando, best known as the land where you find the University of Central Florida. The episode James and I watched was called Dope. It was originally broadcast on June 11th of 1980. And hey, the sooner we start this, the sooner it's going to be over. So let's jump on in. This is me with James Brendlinger. Well, here I am with James Brendlinger. Welcome. Thank you very much, David. We had the joyous experience of watching the last episode of season one. Halla fucking Luya. The, the season finale with the season cliffhanger. The, they we could, waited oh my, all summer to see how they resolve all that. Oh my God, they totally could have done that to us. Thank God they didn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, you haven't been in the lurch as I have been. But, uh, but you said you've been listening to the show. I've listened to every episode except uh, episode 11 wasn't ready on my podcaster this morning. Yes. And uh, episode 12 hasn't been broadcast yet. Yeah, that's coming out but a week. I, so today is the day. To everything available. Yeah, we're recording on the day episode 11 dropped. Excellent. And um, yeah, so uh, we're going to begin the episode we've watched. It was called Dope. And it was at a Christmas party. I ran into you and we actually were able to talk about the podcast and remind me, you, you brought up this episode, and I was like, James, I'm about to do that one. You have to do it then. But remind me what your connection to the show so was. this is my origin story with the facts of life. Um, uh-huh. It must have been the end of the school year, and I was probably in second grade, and a girl in my class came in with this curled under bowl haircut. Oh. And everyone was very shocked. We couldn't believe Julie had cut her hair. And she said, well, it's just like Molly on the Facts of Life, which I'd never heard of. So the next week, I must have made my parents watch the Facts of Life, which 
couldn't have picked a better episode for wow. my conservative Christian parents than the marijuana episode. Wow. But the whole family sat and watched the facts of life, saw who Molly was, which is my introduction to Molly Ringwald, which just changed the rest of the 80s for me. Uh-huh. And um, that was my first time watching the show. And my memory then is that over the summer, they reran some of the other episodes mm-hmm. from the previous year. I don't think they ran all of them. Because later on, some of them were a surprise to me that different things had happened yeah. I didn't know about because the show is so deep and the plot points are so resonating <laughs> through the other seasons. Oh, um, But saw a handful of episodes. Sometimes, including at Christmas, when I told you the story of this, I conflated two episodes and, and said there were one memory. I said that Blair Warner walked down the Eastland staircase in all her prep school glory, and it just was a defining moment for me. There's yeah. Blair Warner... That does not happen in the dope no. episode. That happens in the episode where she gets all the fashion stuff from her family, I think. Um, Am I right? That clip is the last thing in the final closing oh, theme of okay. every episode of season one. So maybe I'm not wrong about so that. So you might have, even if you just watched a few, you, you watch Blair through the episode, but at the very end, the last thing is her in that black dress. And <laughs> she... God, she does look fabulous. I wrote a novel, David, and the opening paragraph of the novel is describing Blair Warner coming uh, down the Eastland staircase. It uh, made that much of an impression on me. Oh, wow. It's just part of my life And, and many of us, because she was so damn good, as we yes. see in this episode, and as she has consistently proven uh, throughout. Um, so you've already told me what I typically ask my guests at the beginning as far as contextualizing. So this was a show you grew up with. Then did you continue watching I, it? I never missed an episode again. I mean that literally. We changed some of our family schedule when they changed what night of the week it was on. Wow. Um, I had to be home for it. And I wasn't that way about too many shows. The Dukes of Hazard was one. Okay, sure. Uh, v, the Visitors, oh, the yeah. Alien mm-hmm. thing. That was another, and that only lasted for a year, but that was yeah. extremely important. I never missed an episode till the end, and I don't think I could say that about any other show. Wow. I literally never missed an episode, and except you... a handful of those first season episodes, which didn't get rerun for a while. Mm. And one summer, NBC showed every episode in order, and I finally saw them and felt complete. I was yeah. a man. And <laughs> as a human and as an American television watcher. So I wanted to use this platform to apologize to... Uh, Really, the world for an attitude I've had, which is when I was a kid, if people said they like the facts of life, I would ask them some questions about Sue Ann, Cindy, and Nancy. Uh-huh. And if they didn't know who they were, I knew they were imposters. Oh. That was our shibboleth. I have no interest in talking to you about the show anymore because you're not a fan. No. In my mind, those episodes were iconic. They were so important. And now I watch, especially the uh, the different strokes. Uh, what do you call that? The backdoor, the backdoor pilot. pilot. Yeah. That's a mess. <gasps> That's mindless. And the first episode isn't a whole lot better. It's just unfocused. It doesn't seem to be written by people who had ever met teenagers or been to any school of any type. Uh, No. Um, The whole thing's hard to watch. But I will say, I've watched these 13 episodes recently just to get myself ready for this and to um, understand everything you're saying in the podcast. Bless your heart. This episode starts to feel like some of the second season feels. It, they're, they're understanding who their important characters are mm-hmm. and why it's important to have contrast between characters and so on. I thought this episode was genuinely funny, especially, we'll get to it, but it, it had there are some that was amazing the, lines and delivery. Compared to previous ones where I've, I have well documented how often the jokes don't land, yes. and that was clearly before the time when they're like, okay, writers, huddle, we're going to do another take and let's find something that works. Right. That's like... Pfft, didn't even occur to anybody. Um, and the the one last thing before we begin, I do want to say, 
James, we're, we will talk later about your educational background. James showed up with already a pad and paper. And before we started recording, he requested a highlighter so that he could cross off the bits on his page. So uh, take that, Michael Wanzi, who gave me shit for my extensive notes. I have so many thoughts and feelings to share. I just don't want to miss any of them. So thank you. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. I'm, I'm thrilled that you are that invested in this. It is it is delightful. Um so we are not going to make it past the first shot of the opening theme. <laughs> 13 episodes in, as it starts, James says to me, look at that. Do you notice how the lawn isn't taken care of, how the lawn looks terrible? And I'm like, wait, what? So wherever <laughs> they shot the, the front of the Eastland School, which is a I'm, real location. Yes. Uh, it must have been summer break or something, but there are there are weeds growing up through the concrete yeah. steps out front. You know what? Actually, I did look up, and it's funny, I haven't mentioned this in all this time, that the exterior shot of Eastland that we see in the opening theme is a place called Claremont College. Pomona College. Uh, I'm sorry, Pomona College in Claremont, California. You know this better than I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, there are people. I'll I'll post on the website a picture of it now. It is it's almost what well, it is unrecognizable because all the greenery is gone. And now that you pointed it out to me, those big shrubs are they're huge. They're overgrown. Right. The shrubs are overgrown. There are weeds growing up through the concrete steps where the girls are running down the steps, and the lawn is you know knee high in places. My best guess is it must have been. Summer break, and they just weren't, the groundskeepers weren't working as hard when they came in and just did some of their establishing shots. But that shot stays into the next season. Into Uh, the next three seasons. So I would think if I knew a film crew was coming, I might just run the lawnmower over the lawn in front of the building (laughs) they're going to shoot at. Uh, Yeah, that blew my mind. And it's it's so funny. This is is the joy of this podcast is bringing in all these other eyes and perspectives (laughs) who look at stuff and it's like, oh, I never even thought of that. And the other thing about the... You you pointed out a second thing in the opening theme that I've never noticed. In the final shot of the opening theme where the girls are rolling around on each other... There is a man standing in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. He's wearing red, and he is clearly just staring at the girls as they roll on the ground. With his arms crossed. He's just watching. And um, that might be the Zodiac Killer. And you probably think I'm joking. (laughs) But before he was up in Northern California, he was roaming around some college campus in Southern California. They found uh, some of his symbols scratched on a desk, so I'm pretty sure it's the Zodiac. I would love to find out from someone on the crew... Who was that guy in your shot, and why was that not edited out? Because yeah. honestly, they could have just zoomed in closer on the girls and not had him. But uh, yeah. every episode, he is standing in the background staring at him. It's, it's strange. Yeah, and it's one of those things having... I don't have a lot of uh, film or much experience, but what little I do have from video production is... It is surprising how you will have a room full of people. You will get yeah. the shot, and then you'll go into the editing room and be like... What the fuck is that? Like, you know, there's 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 a camera bag for our equipment in the background that none of us yeah. saw. And I mean So for just additional subtext, if it's not the Zodiac killer, it could be Mr. Bradley. Oh, and he I, is lingering back there totally watching the girls as they roll on the Mr. ground. Bradley. So I believe it's, it's Mr. Bradley. That's I, I love both of those theories. For all my twos of listeners out there, um, then please, if you know that, then please uh, write in to me and let me know. All right, so let us begin the episode. But before we begin, 
James Brendlinger, my guests are always asked, you know this by now, <laughs> to synopsize the episode in just one or two sentences, as you might find it in TV Guide. Um, Helen Hunt infiltrates the Eastland campus and brings drugs into the picture. My actual description would be Sue Ann and Blair wish to join a popular clique of older girls, but to do so, they're going to have to use drugs. Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. Those, th- those are both lovely and perfectly <laughs> correct. Um, and I think you're talking about your, your reference to it feeling like future episodes. It's also because it has the very special... Yes. Asterisk kind of quality to it, where there's... It's that thing of we can we can get closer to issues and real stuff because Norman Lear was part of developing. He's still attached to this show. What all in the family did. Why are we skimming the surface with this, you know, girls jiggling around in short shorts bullshit? Right. And just looking at. Well, you're you're right about the pedigree. You've got a Norman Lear background. But at the time, ABC was everything with their jiggle comedies, Three's Company and so on. I think. Yeah. Charlie's some executive Angels. board somewhere was saying, well, yes, we can do these topical. We're uh, going to talk about dope. We're going to talk about weight issues. We're going to talk about competition. You know, there's a whiteboard with those things listed. Yeah. But let's put them all in tight little shorts and have them wrestle on the lawn while they do it. Like there was both things battling here. Uh, yeah. And, and eventually somebody sane gets control and yeah. turns into what it becomes and what we love. And uh, yes, agreed. And as an attempt to be a female welcome back Cotter, as Matthew Arter <laughs> pointed out, it's like, it was one of those, oh, but we can do it because we have the Norman Lear pedigree. Welcome back Cotter. When you look back, it's so broad. And, and it sure. was catchphrase city. It's like, okay, we have to have Horshack laugh. We have to have Horshack raise his hand. We have to have Epstein bring in a note. <laughs> we have to, you know, the fact that you know, it's like, welcome back, Cotter. It's a wonder there was room for a plot right. with how many boxes they had to check off right. in every episode. But we digress. Scene one. We are in the girls' lounge room. And Blair and Sue Ann come in. And Blair, in in a typical... Uh, display of the bad expositional writing the show often fell into. Blair comes in saying, "Ah, Sue Ann, I know you're my best friend, and I know this and that, and I know that there's a secret that you want me to tell you, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So within the first line, it's like Blair and Sue Ann are best friends. Are they? It is interesting who the allies are. In each episode? Uh, yeah, and how it shifts. And how it shifts, but I don't know if you work with teenagers. There's true. a little of that. I mean, true. <laughs> but, but, you know, to the credit of the show, Blair and Sue Ann have been a constant, a horrible constant right. with the body shaming and then the, you know, Hick versus the city, you know, the Green Acres kind of a thing that they're playing up. But, you know, in the running episode, Sue Ann and um, Cindy are best friends. In um, the IQ episode, it's Sue Ann and Nancy right. who are the best friend. It's like, you know, clearly Sue Ann is the, the fickle one here. Right. But, or the um, writers are the fickle ones. <laughs> yeah, m- maybe, maybe. Anyhow, I'm remembering so, that Nancy is both the smartest girl in school and doesn't get A's. There yeah. have been two different episodes that establish that she's the smartest. And, yeah. And also that she doesn't get A's. And she needed a scholarship. Was Nancy? I thought, I thought Sue Ann was the smartest because she was always helping Nancy. Maybe you're correct. In the um, in that different strokes episode, Nancy's problem is that she 
she can't continue going to oh. the school. And they establish that her grades aren't particularly good. And by the time we get to the oh, IQ episode, yeah. that's not true of her character anymore. And you yeah. pointed this out with Molly, with all the characters just have these, you know, whatever the writers Throw need it, this yeah. week, these two are friends. Yeah, this these one's two are, smart or not smart. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bradley's ankle country. is broken. Mr. Bradley's <laughs> ankle is completely healed a week later. I'm not convinced they even cared what order we saw the episodes in often. No. I mean, nobody's learned anything that carries over into the next episode. And, oh, hell no. And changes anything. Yeah. Blair is saying to Sue Ann, okay, fine. I'm going to tell you the secret because you're my best friend. But when you hear it for <laughs> real from the real source, you have to pretend to be surprised. I got you into the group with me. The group. Ooh. <laughs> and um, when Sue Ann says, oh my God, that's so exciting. That's so great. I can be one of the popular girls now. How did you do it? And Blair says, well, it started when I paid them $5,000. And then Tootie pops up from behind the couch. <laughs> $5,000? And so we continue with Tootie snooping, and uh, Tootie lands a lot of jokes this episode. She's Tootie really is good. on fire this episode, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so Tootie is snooping, and we establish that that's an important part of this episode, is that Tootie being snooping, and, and it actually works in this episode. Um, and then after she leaves, Sue Ann is like, so they kick her out. We're talking privately. Get out of here, Tootie. Sue Ann's like, what are you talking about? 5,000? Blair's like, I was just kidding. I got you into the group, whatever. Okay, if you were kidding, ergo, that was a joke. Er Ergo, there should have been a laugh, and there was not. It was just a throwaway. Right. Blind to force Tootie to pop up. Some of this episode is very organic. Like, these are actual things that these girls would want, and others are just some writers (laughs) needed this to happen. Yeah. And uh, the motivations aren't totally clear. They talk about Sue Ann's credentials and how Blair had to get her in in spite of the fact that she's there on scholarship. New information that Sue Ann is there on scholarship. Um, The fact that she's from Kansas City. Are you crazy? I wouldn't have told them that. Um, So, yeah, basically we learn that there's this group called The Group. (laughs) Because when it comes to creativity, Eastland... You know, the 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 K stands for quality and creativity. It's like, I, I anyway, we're gonna call ourselves. Let's form a clique and call ourselves the group. The group. <laughs> anyway, so I did feel in here. You're talking about this new information about Sue Ann's here on scholarship. Yes, and we're underlining the fact she is from Kansas City, and that is very unacceptable in the Northeast. She's a hick. At one point, she is wearing a bolo tie with Longhorn cattle on it. <sighs> And knee-high cowboy boots, they're really playing that up. And I feel like they already had the notes from someone saying, you've got to create conflict between these girls and make different types of characters. And I think this is a presage to next season, we're going to change it up completely. I also think somebody saw the movie Little Darlings over the summer. Oh, yeah. And said, oh, Christy McNicholin. Was it Tatum O'Neill? Yeah, Tatum Um, O'Neill, yeah. And that very much informs what's going to happen the second season. But I think some of this is someone was making the attempt... To make Sue Ann and Blair these opposing forces. Yeah. And And, uh, and we're underlining it with all these lines right here. And costuming, trying to costume it, because there's such a problem. And speaking of which, Molly, good God, the hideous Holly Hobby (laughs) button-up collars and bows and puffy sleeves, which were, they were somewhat in fashion in the 80s, but good Lord, she just looks like a, like a, it's like a bad American girl doll. Yes. 
Holly Hobby is all that I they can think of. They were dressing her like a first or second grader yeah, in middle school. It's it just the strange. costumes are terrible. And as Brett Walden wondered, is this an orphanage? It's like, no, yes. it's a girl's school. Maybe we should have them dress like a girl's school where they have uniforms. <laughs> it's not like season two begins with, ah, can you believe we have to wear uniforms now? It's right. like, it's already there. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so then in comes... The other three. We have Cindy, Molly, and Natalie. They walk into the room in a line. <laughs> they stand in a line and then deliver their lines one, two, three, right in a row. About uh, they come in and Blair shushes uh, Sue Ann. And so then it's like, oh, every time we come in a room, you're shushing. And the next one says, this has been this way ever since you guys joined the group. And then it ends with Natalie going, come on, let's get out of here. It's like, oh. The three of them have to share those sliding tiles in the opening credits. Yes. I just should have known. It's <laughs> The opening credits. You're going to get one line in the order you're credited and move on. It, it, precisely. <laughs> um, so then we have what would be the closest thing to a B-plot that we have not had, really, and is not really a staple of the show, but we have this B-plot of Mrs. Garrett coming in with Mr. Bradley, who is still dressed up like a coach. Right. Because he's the headmaster. And the coach, and the humanities teacher, <laughs> right. and the family tree teacher. And a fixture in the lobby of just one of the girls' dorms. Yeah. Yes. In Perv, I think, is also in his... <laughs> um, it's implied. In his and thing. And I was reminded, listening, re- I, I re-listened to the episodes as they dropped to make sure the audio is okay. Um, and I forgot, God, what an asshole he was in the running. Like, irretrievable, irredeemably... And the ending of that lets him off the hook for it so easily. I think you're beautiful, Mr. Bradley. Yeah. No. No, you're not. No. You're a monster. Yeah. And Uh, you will. So he comes in in his coach gear for some reason. Um, (laughs) Mrs. Garrett is trying to sell him on, can we please get a stereo system here in the common room? Wouldn't it be great to have some music for the girls to listen to? And Mr. Bradley... Does agree. He says, I think music appreciation would be a good thing, but it's got to be more than disco. It's got to be other stuff and the classics. And um, it gives Mrs. Garrett a chance to do, oh, no, we'll do knee bends to Beethoven and we'll wiggle with Wagner. Is that what she says? Yes. As she's doing (laughs) physical cows, because nothing is funnier than a fat woman trying to exercise. (laughs) Nothing in 1980 made anyone laugh more. And then we have two new girls come in through the door. Thank goodness. And they're dressed in their school uniforms, so we know they are students at Eastland. (laughs) And they are, uh, to our surprise, they are Helen Hunt, future Oscar, uh, Golden Globe and Emmy Award winner Helen Hunt, who will soon be, in uh, about 15 years, be making her own mark on television in uh, Mad About You with Paul Reiser. Um, But... Uh, and she and the other girl, who is the other actress? Did you uh, Her name is Hilary Horan. <laughs> the reason I know Hilary Horan is I love Happy Days. And on Happy Days, especially those, uh, the really iconic when Fonzie would walk in and the studio audience would cheer for a really long time. I think it's like the third, fourth, fifth season in there. Yeah. He often had two girls on his arms. Oh. And one of them was often <clears throat> Hilary Horan. She did like 40 episodes and never talked. She just... He'd snap and she'd come over and get under one arm and a different girl get on the other arm and they'd go. My my backstory, Wait. my best guess 
Is Wait a minute. She was on like 40 episodes of, of Happy, Happy Days, Days. But never talked. She just was just as one an uncredited of, yes. Fonzie snap recipient. Fonzie snap recipient. She'd stand over by the jukebox Holy or the ladies' shit. room or booth. And she would come when he called and go. And my theory is... These teenage girls probably were going to every single casting call uh-huh. and, you know, just start popping up in these places. Helen Hunt's another one who a lot of 70s shows yes. have a Helen Hunt episode. Oh, yeah. Um, She's all over the, the place. After school specials. Yes. The her most jumping out the window. One, Angel dusted when <laughs> Helen Hunt throws herself through a plate glass window because she's using Angel Dust, which yes. with some editing... Could have been part of this episode. Could have. <laughs> totally could have. And she makes fun of it when she hosts SNL. I'll see if I can find that video and post it on the yes. blog. But she makes a joke about <laughs> about the fact that she has, as of this, as of 1980, Helen Hunt has a very long resume that she brings to this one. What does she have? Five lines in this episode? Yeah. Not a lot. Maybe not even that. Because she's kind of the yeah girl yeah. for a lot of it. But when she does talk, she's direct. She's mm-hmm. clear. She's a great character. Um, I like that they're bringing in some people who don't really have a whole lot of redeeming character value. They're just just kind of a mean girl. I think it would have been smart to bring Helen Hunt back. Of course, that's hindsight. But what a show to just every once in a while bring back Helen Hunt as the uh, the girl who's going to pressure you to do something wrong. Yeah, the bad influence or Mm -hmm. something. But unfortunately, she is in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, she's gone by the end of the episode. Um, so she comes in and we have already a very problematic situation because what the fuck are their names? The names of these two characters are Tumpy, Tuppy, Tumpy, Tuffy, Tunty. Everybody, I feel like everybody says it differently, Yeah, but it's one of those, it's Tumpy. Tumpy. Like Stumpy. With a no per- S. A person with a stump for a, a limb that you might call Stumpy in a 1980s sitcom. <laughs> not today. That's not correct. So her name is Tumpy. When I was... What the fuck? Maybe in fifth or sixth grade, someone gave me the, the Preppy Handbook, a popular book in the 80s. Okay. And it explained where all these nicknames come from. I do not know. Tumpy, her last name must be Tumpington or something. Oh, okay. That's that's Tumpy. a nice I, guess. Oh, okay. There I, it is. I don't know where else might come from. But, Tum- you know, if, you're, if your nickname is Skip, it's because your name for your grandfather and the name skipped a generation. If your nickname's Trip, you're the third. Oh. And so on. Like they all, there's a I reason for that. all of them. Some of them are just cute. The baby's Muffy or Buffy or whatever, and that's a cute name for a kid. Yeah. Tumpy's Muff. not cute. That's yeah. kind of an upsetting Tum- name. Yeah, and t- like I said, it, it sounds derogatory. Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> makes immediately I think of Stumpy, a, a, a bad nickname you might give to somebody who's missing a limb. But the thing is, it sounds throughout the episode as various people say it, like it might be Tuffy. Right. Um, think, think Betty Davis on that TV show in the jail cell. So long. Tuffy, <laughs> as in tough person. Um, but then at one point, she somebody else sounds like they're calling her Tuppy. Right. Like, uh, 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 it's... Did it Helen is, Hunt have a name? Did her character... Emily. It was Emily, okay. So. Yeah, the dark-haired girl who was the, the Fonzie chick. And <laughs> and this would have been post-Fonzie, because Happy Days premiered in oh, like... Oh, this is definitely after 70, Happy Days years. Happy Days yeah. was like 74, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, so yeah, this is where we're still in it. I think Happy by days. the time this was happening though, um, Fonzie was teaching high school or something. Do you remember? Yeah. Eventually they made him respectable. The, yeah. That was not when he had two girls on his arms. He was a, a great, it was either 
I think it was probably Mad Magazine, because this sounds more <laughs> pointed. But Mad Magazine is the one who says, you know, hey, I'm the guy in the leather jacket, and I work in a garage, but I'm polite to my adults <laughs> and my friends' parents, and I always make sure that everyone's doing that. You think I'm a hood, but I'm a nerd in hood's clothing, <laughs> is the way they describe him. And it's like, oh my God, he is. Fonzie's a total... And anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. So we have this whatever the fuck her name is, Tumpy. That is so problematic. Wow. Um, so they show up, and it's uh, it is to bring Sue and the news that you have been officially accepted into the group. And Sue Ann pretends to be happy and excited, and they're like, Blair already told you, because her performance is so terrible. Oh, she can't help it. I love Julianne Pekarski. Julie Pekarski. Julie Pekarski. Yeah. I love her. And all the remarks that your friends have made about her are super hurtful. I know she's out there listening, and, and Julie, I loved you when I was in second grade, and Julie, I wish I, you the very best wherever you are now. Julie, you were <laughs> surrounded by terrible circumstances. You had the worst writing. It gave you no help. And you were a teenager. I do not judge you today as a human being. I can only... I'm, I'm criticizing the art, not the artist, as they say you should. While we're on the subject, the show is super harsh about her weight for some reason. I think at least three episodes make reference to, like, Blair feels Suanne is overweight. It's, it's she's a, a beautiful girl. It, she's the same <laughs> size as Blair, and Blair is constantly, it's like we got to, again, the middle, I, I picture these bad middle-aged vaudevillian yeah. writers, and, and they're like, okay, we got to come up with a thing. She's always giving a shit for being fat. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny when girls fat shame yes. each other. And it's like well, I, it's, I hope the show gets over that. I think it does. I didn't remember it doing this, it and never I cringe every there. time. It just and beautiful girl being told multiple times, or or she's somebody overweight. going, "I want to fat shame Natalie so bad, yeah. but we can't. We're not allowed to. So we're not allowed to. It. But the thing is, yeah, Mindy Cohn has said how the show never did a weight episode. The closest we got was the one where Sue Ann is starving herself, and that is the closest they come to Is that the Magic Natalie Marker episode? Con- yeah. <laughs> Happy when Magic Natalie Marker. confronts and does state explicitly, for all intents and purposes, I know I don't look like everyone else here, and I'm okay with it. Right. And, and it's, that is such a huge credit to this show, particularly because <laughs> this first season, God, oh. they could have gone there so easily, and yeah. I wouldn't have put it past them mm-hmm. for the lousy writing. Um so, uh, Lure... Oh, Tuffy and Emily. <laughs> Tumpy. Tumpy. Fuck. <laughs> Tumpy and Emily uh, also say hello to Mrs. Garrett, and they're like, oh, Mrs. Garrett, we'd love to lure you over to our dorm. Finally, a mention specifically that there are other dorms. That another dorm exists. It exists. Um, I also appreciate they made mention of checking out and having a curfew. curfew. Some, I mean, again, they're getting the things that this is the language of a private school. Yes. And they're starting to pick up on some of that. But You're yes, right. we're going to lure. <laughs> well, I mean, they want to have a full-time nurse and an aviator and yeah. you know, a sex ed teacher living in their dorm with them. A full-time and aviator, nurse, sex ed teacher, who will toilet fit that cleaner. Yes, all of those things are skills that one wants in a den mother, in a, <laughs> a house mother. So why wouldn't they? Because <laughs> we, Mrs. Garrett, we want you in our dorm so we can be on the show instead of these shitty girls. I do want to say, you and your guests have been pretty hard on um, on Mrs. Garrett being a nurse and why was she working as a housekeeper in that case. But I think that um, Philip Drummond, in different strokes, was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. 
And he had lost his previous housekeeper. She had passed away, and that's why he adopted Willis Willis and and Arnold. Arnold, yeah. And he only wanted to hire the best. Uh So he hired Mrs. Garrett. And then found her stolen uh-huh. away by Eastland. That is and my backstory for that's her. Your, that's part of the, <laughs> what you call the, the different strokes universe, yes. cinematic universe. <laughs> but if you want to hire the best, of course you do. But it's like, isn't she sweeping or vacuuming in the very first shot of the very first episode of Different Strokes? Isn't the first exchange like, okay, we're getting the house ready for the boys to come. Thank you, Mrs. Garrett. And Mr. Drummond, I quit. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, and this is like going back easily 30 years in my memory, but right. I remember distinctly, because I'd already watched Facts of Life, saying, oh my God, this is so fascinating to watch the the origins of this character. But I mean, <laughs> he didn't say, Mrs. Garrett, I wanted someone with your multifaceted skills, but... You know, you, you miss some of the dust on the baseboards right, there. Right, I I still... And there's also the problem of the the mystery of where Kimberly is. Yeah, if she's not um, at school at East, she's in the other dorm with she's Tum, Tum, <laughs> Tumpy and Tumpy. Emily. Tum- <laughs> oh, my. they should have cut to her sitting on the bed staring. <gasps> I'm jumping ahead, but... Oh, my God, this that would have been amazing. This is another fan edit thing. I need someone to yeah. fan edit Kimberly Drummond yes. to be smoking pot in the background in that dorm room. That would have been fucking amazing. Oh, we have work to do. Uh-huh. So as they're, the, the girls leave, they just they literally come in and say, we're here to tell you you're part of the group. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett, want to come work with us? Okay, bye. That's all they do. And then... Uh, somehow it leads to Blair pulling out a lipstick tube, but it's not a lipstick tube. There's a secret inside of it, and it's a marijuana cigarette. That moment probably made the most impression on me the first time I watched the show is the girls with a false tube of lipstick and what they hid in it, which at the time I don't think I had any idea what marijuana was, but I was very excited about someone having, being able to hide their, uh, I feel like I did. I'm trying to think. I was like 11 still at this point. My sister was 14. Yeah, it's probably a little bit early. But you heard about it. Again, dope. Did people who did dope call it dope? I don't think so. In I think that's what like, your parents would call it derisively. Uh, yeah. I was not in the, uh, Again. In hey, the culture, Murray. but... Yeah. Hey, Murray, what is it, Ira? <laughs> We're going to do an episode about dope. The kids are doing... They're smoking the jazz cigarettes. <laughs> Um, so then, yes, that's what now, um, you don't say anything because now we're a part of the group and that is a part of the group, Sue Ann. End of scene. (laughs) Da-da-da. Um, so then we come to another scene. We, time has passed and, um, Mrs. Garrett is going through, uh, some sales circulars trying to find a decent stereo. (laughs) And she's laying out all the different features and the punchline is... Uh, but does it play music? It has all these, but does it play music? I don't know. And that's my first Mrs. Garrett, I believe, of this episode. I, I do not do an impression of Mrs. Garrett, by the way. I'm, I feel like you're going to put together a compilation of everyone doing it, and I will not be part of Get that. Get out of my brain. I, I do not I was do a thinking Mrs. Garrett of that. impression. Yeah, wait till Trinell's. I, I nearly <laughs> choke to death when Trinell does, does it next week. Um, so, uh, or I should say last week for those listening. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, Molly, what do we get? We've talked about which which Molly is it this week. This right. week we get political activist Molly. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett, you shouldn't be ordering a Japanese stereo system. You should buy American because it's good for the economy. 
And it's like, oh, bless. Oh, bless, Molly. You have a hideous costume on right now. And you're, where, where did Chatty Molly go? And you seem to be recuperating very well from your parents' divorce. <laughs> F-B-T dubs. Um, so then uh, Sue Ann and Blair come downstairs, and that's where they mention curfew. They mention sign-in. We do have a mention of curfew in the sex episode where Blair asks Sue Ann to sign her in. Correct. Early. Yep, you're right. The, <clears throat> um, the girls go out. Sue Ann has got a fabulous rainbow sweater tied around her shoulders. So the rainbows in this episode... I know. Wow. I remember uh, Mork and Mindy. I, you and I? Yes. He the, had the suspenders. He had the rainbow suspenders. Nobody wore those before Robin Williams. And I'm thinking, this must follow that. It must just be hey, rainbows Ira, were a big thing with teenagers. I saw this humdinger of a show on the other night. <laughs> it was about this alien and this hot chick. He was wearing rainbows. Let's write him into the show. Well, they're everywhere. Tootie's wearing rainbow socks. Nancy's wearing a rainbow top. Uh, There is a rainbow hanging on the wall of the dorm room. And a rainbow bedspread. And a rainbow bedspread. I think there were more, but that's four that just jumped to mind very quickly. This set designer went a little crazy with the rainbows, (laughs) yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, they are absolutely everywhere, and that is 100% of its time. Um, And then as they leave, Tootie does this lovely little routine. She did it earlier with the uh, commercial... (laughs) In the dieting episode where she talks about a spa or something where okay. they they give, they hand the show over to Kim Fields. Yep. And we are all the better for it. Yes. Because she, similarly to her doing that commercial, the, hi, I'm here for blah, blah. In this case, <laughs> it's the, all the preppy names. It's like, hi, Tinky. Well, hello there, Muffy. Well, hi, Binky and Poopy and Prissy and Flumpy. And 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 it lands. She is <laughs> Awesome. And then Mrs. Garrett nails her with, if you're going to make fun of all those names, Tootie. Oh, (laughs) snap. Tootie gets called out on the carpet. (laughs) Kim Fields is fantastic. And she's got to be like 11 at this point and just the best thing in the show. She's either 10 or 11. Um, So uh, Nancy then comes down in her rainbow top. Fabulous. (laughs) And she's like... Well, I'm going. I've got a date with Roger. And she's like, well, you could be more excited about it. Mrs. Garrett is, no, I'm deliriously happy. And Mrs. Garrett (laughs) says, well, well, once you calm down, why don't you tell me what's wrong? And then Tootie says, she's just mad because Sue Ann got into the group and she didn't. And she says, who told you that? And Tootie responds, pointing to her ears, lefty and righty. Comedy gold. Good one, Tootie. La- that joke lands and props, and yes, so, indeed. I wanted to do a little in memoriam here for Felice Schachter, who's playing Nancy. This is her last real scene as a lead in this show. Yeah, she's about uh, to get the, the pink slip in the axe. Uh, I'm sure you've watched the same documentaries I have with yes, her, but she was have. under the impression this was a show about her character. Yeah. Um, and certainly the Different Strokes episode kickoff for this was about her character mm-hmm. and how Mrs. Garrett helps her stay in school, get a scholarship, be in the school play, etc. Yeah. And we have come to this where she has been excluded from the group. She has a nice, real, very nice scene here with Mrs. Garrett talking around, you know what, you don't need to be in their stupid group. Oh, you're right, Mrs. Garrett. Yeah. And then she's done. When she comes back no. next time, I think we're going to see her <laughs> on a lunch line making a wisecrack or something. But yeah. 
there's really not a whole lot more for her. We have the Roger episode coming up in season two where she right. features more prominently. But yeah, again, a featured character and no longer yeah, the lead no, of the no show that lead. she thought she was starring in. So yeah, she we love you, Felice Schachter. Felice. She reminded me of a Brooke Shields, especially in her deadpan yeah. moment there. And her, she's That's got her true. tight Calvin Klein jeans on and does her deadpan straight into the camera. Yeah, no, there's um, definitely a Brooke Shields vibe a about her. Beautiful girl. And a, I've, she's gorgeous. She was the first hired and the first fired, yep. according to the documentaries mm-hmm. that are out there. So, yes, R.I.P., uh, Nancy, whatever your last name was, that they probably never gave you. Um, so, Olson. <laughs> it's Nancy Olson. Nancy Olson. I don't know why I know that, but it's Nancy wow. Olson. And on Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> the Olson after, family. after Nellie leaves and they do that horrible thing oh, that TV goodness. shows do when they add children. Oh, we, no. We add more kids for the Ingalls, but then remember? You get because Nancy Olson. Did Nelly... I just make up a name for this character then? No, I think you're it's right. It's Nancy Olson. No, I, I'm, I think you're yeah. right. You're, no, but it's just the unoriginality. The, the lack of originality, like, you know, we got this actress, Molly Ringwald. What are we going to call her character? Molly. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're exactly yeah, and right yet, about that. Uh, and yet, you know, we have Mindy Cohn, who is essentially a non-professional playing herself. Why wasn't her character's mm-hmm. name Mindy, other than, I guess, Mork and Mindy? That's probably why they didn't You're do, probably right, yeah. Didn't do Mindy for her, but uh, Natalie totally suits her. I've got no problem with that. Um, <laughs> so this little exchange is lovely, and it ends with you and I both kind of scratched our heads. Come on, let's go put a flower in your hair. That's that's what girls want. That's how you placate them. You take them out, and they go out the front door. I guess they're going into the garden out front, the Did unmown lawn. I thought she went back into the kitchen. No, they both wander out the front door of the house. We're Pick the other a girls seem to be following as if this is a group activity. You had yeah. a sad day. I'm yeah. going to put a flower in your let's hair. Let's go put. Let's go Come invent a line, line to get us out of yeah. the storm, <laughs> basically. So then, Tootie and Natalie. God bless the show that they instantaneously caught on how Kim Fields and Mindy Cohn yes. work well together, had great chemistry, and said these two are a unit, mm-hmm. even for how little they're prom- featured. What little we get of that is so important to what happens later. And Tootie says, hey, Natalie, why don't we form our own clique? Mm-hmm. And and again, do kids call their own cliques cliques? At the time, yes. Did that they? was a bit, yes. And it was because, I just remember the TV show Square Pegs, the opening theme song talked about each click clicks with another click, and you have to be in a click and so on. It was a big, it may have been more of a, TV and movie creation, yeah. but I remember being in like fourth grade and talking about our clique, and you're not in our clique. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. I, I don't, but... It's obnoxious, was, but it was, it maybe was the era. I was never in a clique. <laughs> I'm sorry, we wouldn't have let you in, but you're very nice, David. <laughs> Anywho. Um, the, uh, so Tootie and Natalie, let's find again. She's like, well, what do they... Even if we formed a clique... What would we do? And Tootie says, we're going to do what the group does. And Natalie says, how do you know that? And she says, I know how to find out. And she does a special, <laughs> like, a, not even a shave and a haircut. It's right. like, knock, knock, knock. Yep. And secret like, knock. That's the super crazy secret knock that these intelligent girls who go to a prep school came up with. <laughs> and so... And I have, again, Tunfi, Tuffy, Tuppy. They talk about... <laughs> <laughs> I I just I can't. Um so that's the thing of Tootie knows how to find out things. Yes. So Snoopy Tootie is beautifully in full bloom and blossom and they are 
going to keep on using her, and well, they should. Now we cut to Tumpy's room. Tumpy's room. Tumpy's room. Where Tumpy is acting super strange. I don't know if it was a, you know, a direction to uh, square your shoulders and sort of hunch over and walk around like Frankenstein, but maybe yeah. that's her impression of someone who's high. Really strange choices in her acting throughout this scene. Yeah. And hopefully these girls are of an age where they still maybe haven't actually tried it. So they're trying to act. Um, So the deal is uh, we cut her room and we hear that knock, knock, knock. (laughs) So it's like, oh, that's the secret knock that gets you into the room. And um, we need to pause and talk about this room a little bit. Because it is allegedly in another sister dorm at Eastland. They are Eastland students. In the hallway, it has the usual ugly picture frames and shit on the walls. But in this room, which is tiny, not like the big spacious one or two person rooms that we've had. This room is pretty tiny. There's one bed in it. So maybe it's private room. It's just Tumpy's private room. Right. But the walls are painted lavender. We don't have those... um, uh, what's that English? The Tudor style sort of slats. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't match the set design of anything else. And as we were watching it and discussing, just for a moment, I asked you what you thought about that set. There's a crease in it where they have clearly put two flats together yeah. and tried to paste over. <laughs> you can see the masking I, tape, yeah. Somebody said, we're going to need another dorm room here. And instead of redressing Mrs. Garrett's bedroom, yeah. they made something in a corner of the studio, I think. And yeah, and it has to this look is going to be so Tumpy's room. And the walls are painted lavender. And the sad thing is, you look at this and you're like, why didn't the this the one bedroom set that they've been rotating and rotating and i do have a video i'm posting of all the bedroom scenes so you can compare and contrast the fucking hideous decor that they take and rotate around to make it different girls rooms there's always that new york poster huh there's a new york new the new yorker yeah that poster I think does carry over to future seasons, or at least a similar one. Maybe everybody has that poster. It's a framed poster. It's a New Yorker cover. Oh, is it? Uh, I think it's some of the... I, I'm going to say the wrong building. It might be the Chrysler building, but it's the New Yorker yeah. magazine cover, and it's hanging right there near the rainbow in Tumpy's room. And I am pretty sure later on that becomes one oh. of Blair's things, as she has that later. But we'll just watch future oh. seasons and find out. Wow. I'm looking forward to your compilation to video. That's great. <laughs> and it's it's literally just every scene in the bedroom from the <laughs> 11 episodes in which it is featured. And it's just you look and you... I started to try to do like a, a dissertation on it. And then it became like, a, I, you fucking figure it out. Because they end up with a shelf and fogly uh, candle sconces on the wall. The wallpaper is hideous. I get that it's a dorm. But the beds shift around. We have different colored bed... <laughs> spreads but we always have sombreros on the wall <laughs> and i'm like what and at one point there's even like i think they have like a a pinata or one of those paper uh, tissue paper flowers or, or something the, the mexican theme and in multiple girls rooms as it is um dis, as it is presented to us as multiple girls rooms it has um, the same easel with the same painting on it. <laughs> and we only ever see Blair painting once in one episode, the parents' right. night episode, I think. Um, so it just, it makes no sense right. the way they do this room. And then to add to the mystery, we now have this other completely different with, how did they get lavender paint on the walls? Right. This is what the girls' room should have looked like 
It, anyway. A lot of that is probably cut footage from a much longer episode that they filmed and we'll Maybe. never see. Maybe that's it's in the it's in the director's cut, the James Cameron director's cut. Um, so we're in the room, and yeah, there's the knock at the door, and it takes um, it takes Tumpy an awful long time to get up and slump her way <laughs> and slog her way to the door because clearly she is on the. I reefer. just realized her posture has got to be why they call her Tumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Because she does, she drags herself out of that bed and she just tumps across she that room it. and with one arm throws the door open. Perfect, and, yeah. You know, someone has given the secret knocks. So they may now infiltrate the room. There's nothing you can do about it. Here comes an 11-year-old. Wow. Tumpy. Yeah. God bless her. <laughs> so we um, we come into the room and the, that knock is Blair and Sue Ann. So it's Sue Ann's first time with the group. And, of course, the group is just such this formalized clique because we're just going to all sit around and smoke or whatever. Um, but we have Tumpy and Emily are in the room, and they are both they are all high. And there's also a girl laying on the bed. Um, and uh, at one point, they so they come in, and does Blair pull the joint out of the lipstick? Does that lipstick come out, or is it they already she have? She is instructed to give back the joint that Tumpy had previously given her. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they do that and they start to light it up, even though Tumpy is already, you know, three joints to the wind. Yeah. Uh, then we hear the knock at the door <laughs> and they say, oh, that must be, I think they say Bitsy. That must <laughs> yes, be Bitsy. Bitsy. So there's another girl they're expecting. It's not a, who else would be knocking with that special, super encrypted, <laughs> you know, knock that we've got. Um, and it's Tootie. And instead of just like, Tootie, you are not welcome here and we're doing drugs, get out. Shut the door. Slam the door <laughs> in her face. Oh, no. She comes in and, oh, my God, I didn't even notice. Is Tootie on the roller skates? She is. She is on the roller skates. She went from this dorm, to from her dorm to this dorm on the roller skates. She regularly goes up and down the Eastland stairs, which Dangerous. is incredible. Dangerous. Well done, Kim Fields. Well done. Absolutely. So, Tuppy... Tumpy, I will never get her name right because Tumpy did not enter my consciousness. What a horrible name. Um, Tootie mentions something about the stereo. That oh, I'm back at the place and we're looking at a stereo. And Tumpy says, oh, I've got this stereo over here and like you guys could totally have it. For $175. And very specific. For, yeah, very specific. So it's like, okay. Um and uh, somebody says, but Tumpy, you paid $47,000 for that or something. <laughs> and she's like, whatever. With the money I get, I'm going to get some of that really good Hawaiian weed. <laughs> and then uh, Tootie finds a bong, one of the bongs. <laughs> and it's like, wow, what's that? And Blair, to Blair's credit, protecting the young one, says, this is, we keep jelly beans in it. That's it. They're like, why don't you show her? And they light a lighter. Right. And Blair says, she is too young. And they're like, and Duty says, I'm not too young to set fire to jelly beans. Uh, but thankfully, due to Blair's intervention, we do get Tootie out of there before she is corrupted. Mm-hmm. And uh, she leaves. Um, and uh, so they say, okay, we're ready to start smoking this new joint. And... Somehow they get on the subject of telling Sue Ann, oh, Sue Ann, pot makes you so creative. Right. 
And Suin's like, oh my God, that's great because I have a book report due. A 20-page book report. A 20-page book report. Um, so Blair is like, I'm good. Blair is, <laughs> for, for the girl that is trying to bring Suin into the group and was carrying the marijuana, she just decides she doesn't want to smoke. And maybe, I, I want to say Lisa Welchel is such a great fucking actress that her motivation was, I am questioning whether I want to be a part of this group based upon how quickly they were going to show my young friend Tootie mm-hmm. how to smoke. I'm not sure that's really there, but I am I am so in the corner of Lisa Welchel and Blair Warner yeah. that I'm going to say that is why Blair is like, I'm good. I'm not going to smoke. And they're like, what's the matter, Blair? You chicken? And she's like, I'm not chicken. I just don't want to end up like her. And she points to the third girl <laughs> laying on the bed and in the greatest silent cameo of the entire season, <laughs> this girl who is just tripping balls. Is that what the kids say? It is. Um, and I'm not sure if that's appropriate for marijuana. But um, <laughs> anyhow, she is it, I suppose. high as high AF, as the kids yeah. on the memes and the internets would say. And she says, I don't want to be like her. Blair <laughs> says, I don't want to be like her. And the girl just looks up. With her eyes half open and just gives this high kind of a wave. Hilarious. Totally lands. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Um, so um, we get into the thing of uh, Blair saying, I think I want to go. And they're saying, well, Sue you're going to go too? Or you just Blair's puppet. And you don't want to smoke because Blair's not smoking. And Sue Ann's like, what do you mean? I'm here in the group because, you know, I'm not Blair's puppet. That's right. We let you in because of you. So the peer pressure builds. And then Sue Ann smokes. She does it. And I actually, I think that is as bold a move as when they had their first episode be about Cindy's sexuality. Yeah. A main character in the show actually smokes it, doesn't turn it into a coughing joke. Yeah, I mean, she smokes, she inhales, mm-hmm. she breathes it out. Yeah, she's done what she wanted to do. Yeah, and you know we'll have the apology for it later. But I just thought that was a pretty real moment. It was yeah, you know, I, I certainly don't want kids smoking pot. But as far as storytelling goes, yeah. I thought that was a pretty real moment. Yeah. That was what I thought they were setting out to do with the show was have these real moments and then deal with them. Yeah. So agreed. Uh, this is one of the worth, better I ones. I thought that was a good moment. Yeah. And then we do get, of course, the thing we always look forward to most episodes, the awkward hold and freeze and emote <laughs> while we wait for the clap track to come in and right. fade to commercial. So it's just Sue Ann smoking and Blair all... <sighs> And you almost wish they would have played Reefer Madness, Reefer <laughs> Madness, Reefer so, Madness. I've listened to all your episodes, but have we firmly established, is there a studio audience? Yes. There is a studio 100%. audience. 100%. Because their reactions are just often, like, they're just strange enough that it can't be, like, nobody would make a recorded track like that. Exactly. There's a lot and of strange noises and for how many jokes odd laughs. And, bomb. For how many jokes yeah. don't land. Okay. I'm like, why? If there was a laugh track, why wouldn't they use it? Why but wouldn't there they is a clap it? track? Is what you're telling me? That there is, is the a, applause is a track. Yeah, but okay. they typically only do it at the end of the act okay. and at the end of the episode. And if you listen to it, it has a distinct sound of you hear those initial claps start it, and then it just becomes mm-hmm. that. And they keep continuing to use it. And I keep holding up Barney Miller. That is what 
a canned laugh track sounded like mm-hmm. in 1980 is Barney Miller. If they did any sweetening here, I'm not aware of it. Um, so we're at the act break now. This is where I like to quickly and briefly get to know <laughs> my guest, whom I already sort of know. Um, you first became known to me at the Orlando Fringe Festivals as a producer with your group called Penguin Point Productions. Yes, I've been doing Fringe shows for about 12 years as Penguin Point Productions. And recently we got an actual location at Oviedo Mall. I've opened a, a shop there. It's a, a costume shop as well as a performing arts school. Mm-hmm. We have homeschool classes, after school classes, evening classes, and for all ages, including adults, in case you'd like to take an acting or music or dance or art class with us. Yes, to my twos of <laughs> listeners. This is a new venture. You can get it on the ground floor. Like there's going to be a surge of signups oh from this God. podcast. So get, thank you for that. Get ready for the, the avalanche that awaits I you. I think, though, that we knew each other before my Fringe Festival days because I think we judged playwriting together. <gasps> we did. For that Florida totally... State Thespians. I think yes. that's how we met. I work with Florida State Thespians. It's the drama organization for middle and high school students. I'm the uh, state chairman for Florida State Junior Thespians. We run a middle school festival. 5,000 middle school kids at the Orange County Convention Center. It's in about oh, three weeks. So God we, bless you. That's the other thing I do, and that's how you and I actually met. That's right. We were we were judging playwriting together. And uh, we both work at Sleuths, but we have never crossed paths We have there. not. You're yeah. a director there, and I've been an actor there for a long, long, long time. And... Um, yeah, and you were in the education world for many, I many years. Taught high school theater for twenty four years. High school drama, and you also directed. Yep. You were able to amass this gigantic costume shop that has been available to all theatrical groups in Central Florida for free, and that is your generosity. There still, I think, oh, surprises you. a lot of people. <laughs> In that it's like what we just show up. I needed to. I needed a Halloween costume for me personally. Right. But as an actor <laughs> in the community, I was like, James, can I come and borrow a thing? I need a blue suit. And you were like, of course. And it was just sign it out, take good care of it, bring it back, <laughs> and it, yeah. And um, you still have that. You were able to take yes, that with that, you. That is mine. Uh, and you have a website. For Penguin. PenguinPointProductions.com. Uh-huh. You can learn all about the costume uh, collection on there, as well as our classes and so on. The costume collection, I went to my, my 20-year college reunion in Pennsylvania, and at the reunion, a professor told us, well, they're closing the theater department after this year. <gasps> and I said, what's happening to the costumes? Because oh when I was in college, I had worked in the costume room, and she said, well... They're going in a dumpster on Monday. Mm. And I said, why would you do that? And she said, well, it's a state college. It's state property. We can't sell it. We invited the other state schools to come take it away. Nobody came. And the building's being emptied. And I said, well, where's this dumpster going to be? Yeah. And she said, I'll give you the key to the storage unit right now if you can get them out of there. So my family came all weekend and we loaded this, a truck. This weekend? No, this was years ago. This okay. is how I got my collection. Okay. Um, oh, that's how it kind of came The family came out oh, and okay. we... Uh, this we, is your... I'm sorry, your origin this story. This is my origin story. Thank you. <laughs> now I understand Peter Parker. So anyway, I uh, brought all those costumes back to Florida and that's how I started the, the bulk of the collection. Mm-hmm. And um, I've bought uh, bought out a couple closing costume shops since then. People have donated wonderful things, mm-hmm. and that's how our sharing started. And and I was going through the racks that I I needed to borrow a blue suit, and <laughs> I found a label in there from a major theme park with the name of the actor for whom the suit had been <laughs> fitted. And I knew this person. I was like, 
Um, do you know that this? I've <laughs> uh, so I mean, you have been able to amass this this collection based upon your reputation of it's going to a good cause. Yeah, a major theme park that I'm not sure we'll name or not here. Uh, no, let's not. Has made fantastic donations to us. And it is funny, many times I have found names of people we know well because of the, the specific yeah. place mm-hmm. where they dressed up and wore these things. I think I must have every costume Philip Nolan ever wore because uh. it's just <laughs> Philip Nolan's name is in everything. He is, and, <laughs> and he wears a lot of clothes. <laughs> He apparently that Philip does. Nolan, if there's a hyphenated word that comes to mind with Philip Nolan, it's clothes wearing. <laughs> um, but uh, let's go back to your origin story. Where did you grow up? Where did you study? And what brought you to Central Florida? I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I applied to go to UCLA and got accepted and was extremely excited about it. And then my father pointed out we could afford about one semester at UCLA or all four years in a state school in Pennsylvania. So oh. I stayed in Pennsylvania. I went to Kutztown University, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia, and I loved it. It mm-hmm. ended up being a really good um, really good environment for me, very creative people. Uh, it was a education college, but they also had a big arts program, mm-hmm. and I, I got involved with that. And that really, I wanted to be a publicist. Oh. That was my goal, was to be a Hollywood publicist. And uh, <laughs> I am here instead. I'm really glad there's just a path that I would not have taken if I hadn't had the disappointment of not being able to go to UCLA. I, yeah. You know, just a different life. And I'm uh, really pleased with the um, the theater community we have here. Oh, um, yeah. And the Fringe Festival and all the people I've gotten to work with. So uh, no regrets about that. I, I would hope not because <laughs> um, anyone in the Central Florida community, I don't know anybody who would not know who you are. And the community holds you in such high esteem because of... Your generosity, your hopefully your sweet spirit, which is coming through over the microphone right now. How you're just you're just a sweet person, oh, and thank you. Uh, but at the same time, uh, artistic and supportive of other ventures. You're not just you're so not a you know. Well, my group's doing this, and fuck this other production company. You're you're very there's a generosity that automatically accompanies you, and I believe that has been part of what contributes to your success and how the community has held you up all these years. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, just one more personal thing. Before we started, I said, so James, do you use pot or have you ever? <laughs> and are you comfortable talking about it? I have uh, not had experience with that. And um, I think that often when they're doing stories about this, they're so false with their story mm-hmm. that any anyone who has used it would be like, well, this isn't... No. This scenario doesn't happen. Yeah. I will say, you know, people say, how'd you get through college without, um, you know, without smoking pot or whatever? Nobody was forcing on me. People would offer it. And if you didn't want it, they're like, more for me. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then I was upset you weren't doing it. I, I did not have the experience of someone saying, you're not cool if you don't do this. It was more, want it? No? Okay. Yeah. And move on. So. And my story is that it's the same in that I never, I have never done it. And I had friends who did it in high school. And what they quickly learned was I was good to have along when they would go get high because <laughs> I was the entertainment. I could, I mean, you get giggly when you're, when you're, when you're taking the pot. Mm-hmm. Well, bring David along. David is fun. <laughs> David does funny stuff. So I quickly became a, um, a desirable <laughs> accessory to uh, 
that whole thing. And, and I didn't get into any of their weed. And I, in college, I was exposed to pot. I mean, we're talking like a half a dozen times my senior year. I'm not talking like a big, long pattern. And then in college, I just ended up with a group that really weren't into that. I got, that was when I got into the more the, you know, the chorus people and the theater people Mm -hmm. and stuff. And well, theater people would never use drugs. Never, ever. Theater people are sane and are 100% (laughs) comfortable in their own unaltered brains. Uh, So we are both completely ill-suited to say, this doesn't happen this way. (laughs) No idea what we're talking about, Tumpy. (laughs) But but no, at the same time, we're old enough to be exposed to, we certainly have friends who who use it on a regular basis, and here are all of their names. No. Um, But the thing is, I have been exposed to enough people who use it to know what rings false here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily when I was watching it the first time, but I just thought I wanted to add for how like, you know, on Megan's show, it was all about our personal connection to the material. <laughs> In fact, this is negative. You and I have nothing to contribute as far as that goes. Um, so we come back from the commercial and uh, it's back in the dorm. Mrs. Garrett has the stereo and she's setting it up. Speaking of people who are high, Mrs. Garrett needs instructions to plug in and turn on the stereo. That is what is being read out is plug it in and press the on button. In the 70s? It was it was just an RCA jack. It was just here. Plug this, this was in the red one. Literally a record player sitting on top of an amp with two speakers. There yeah. was nothing else to it. No, but it was it was like she was trying to read Sanskrit. <laughs> um, I think Na- is it Nancy comes down and says that Sue Ann is feeling better. Oh, are, is that correct? I'm not sure. Is it Nancy who comes down? She says, okay. anyhow, word is that Sue Ann is upstairs and she's quote unquote feeling okay. better. So there was no repercussions. There was no. Nobody found out anything. It was just, oh, clearly to some, to the outside world, Sue Ann wasn't feeling well. <laughs> um, we get, uh, we learn that this is the stereo system purchased from Tumpy. Right. This is her stereo system. And Mrs. Garrett says, you know, I can't believe she sold it to me so cheap. We even got a signed note from her mother. I hope she didn't forge it. Well, it's boarding school. And it's like the next morning, so there's no way that's a real letter. Uh, I don't know if they're going to return the stereo after they find out the girl's on drugs and being expelled. The mother might have something to say when you've just expelled my daughter and apparently taken her stereo at a fraction of its value. Yeah. Um, As a parent, I'm very upset. I don't have children. (laughs) Well, the expulsion hasn't happened yet. The discovery hasn't happened yet, but it is still the the next day. No, but you're right. No, no, it is. It is the next next day. day. So when could Mrs. Garrett have? Okay, let's let's go to the timeline here. Tootie comes back Mm -hmm. and says, "Hey, I was just over in Tumpy's room, and hopefully, no one has a problem with that." Right. Mrs. Garrett, Tumpy will sell you her stereo system for cheap. How would that have been? purchased with a parental note in hand from Tumpy, who was so baked, like right. beyond, like she could barely function. And did Mrs. Garrett go up to this dorm room to see the $175 purchase she's well, making? I mean, or did yeah. they just take her word for it and bring it down? Yeah. So there's a, wow, there are some, some holes in this plot. story doesn't make sense. I don't Facts know. of life. I'm, I'm not sure I'm buying We're this. We're done. The realism, my, my, my d- suspended disbelief is really offended here. Um, 
so Sue Ann comes downstairs, and she's ready to hit the day. She's feeling good. And she has a book, the book report in her hand. 20-page book report. That she wrote in 30 minutes. And Blair is like, a what? And basically Sue Ann is like, yeah, that thing that we talked about, about the creativity, that burst of creativity hit me, la- hit me last night. And she even is like, and I'm so proud of this book report. And like you do, she says, Mrs. Garrett, would you like to take a look at it? Because I'm so proud of this thing that I wrote last night while I was baked. And it didn't even occur to me to open it up and look at it this morning before I hand it over to a total stranger. (laughs) And Mrs. Garrett does the book report. And this is actually a funny little bit (laughs) where she opens up and she says, Moby Dick was a whale. Flip page. Moby Dick was white. Flip page, and it becomes this joke of. It's genuinely funny. I it, think the book is. report's really good. And and Charlotte Ray, your your comic timing is yeah. spot on. Timing is great. It's just the the mugging and the facial stuff I sometimes find problematic. Um, <laughs> so she looks at it, and it's very clear this book report is not the uh, epic opus that Sue Ann believed that she had written. So quickly, Sue Ann and Blair. Yank it away from Mrs. Garrett and are like, <laughs> we're just going to go to the library and write the actual book report. Glad you enjoyed our joke. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett throws in there, what were you smoking? And, oh, that's right. And laughs. And um, it did. I mean, it, it, was, it was a funny moment. Yeah. But I will say, um, these are little white bread lines that we throw around sometimes about, oh, what were you smoking? Because to us, it? like, that's a joke. And other people, it's, well, I... Marijuana. I was literally yeah. smoking marijuana. <laughs> what were you smoking? Dope. <laughs> um, so all the ha ha ha's and they go. And then I forget why the other girls leave. Oh, we do get when the stereo earlier, when the stereo turns on and it plugs in. Mrs. Garrett is crouched down by the big speaker and it comes on loud and she makes a funny face because it's loud music. <laughs> Some kind in her of ear. music also. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like a Sousa da, da, right. da, 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 <laughs> sort of a Sousa march kind of a thing. Um so all the ha 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 I don't remember what gets the other girls to leave the room. Let's just say someone decides to go put a flower they in their hair. Put flowers in their hair. <laughs> um <laughs> and then in comes uh Tootie and Natalie. And they have got, we just came back from the record store. <laughs> and she says, oh, really? She says, yeah, we just bought three bongs. Bong, bong, <laughs> bong. We're and, a three bong family. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Mrs. Garrett does say, oh, I don't know that group. I'm not familiar. <laughs> Thinking three bongs is the name of a group. Oh. Uh, so they bring out the thing and they say, we don't know what you need to do to make it go bong. <laughs> but she puts, they put out three different Bongs and Mrs. Garrett is understandably horrified, yeah. and she says, "Where did you get the like at the record store where they sell them?" And she's like, "Do you know what these are used for?" And they're like, "Well, yeah, you put jelly beans in it." And <laughs> Natalie's like, "I'm going to put root beer in mine because it already has a straw." And God bless them and their innocence. And they bought three because they bought one for Mrs. Garrett. This is a gift for you, and. Mrs. Garrett is like, why did you buy these? And they're like, well, we're starting our group and we want to do the same stuff that the group has. Right. And she's like, the group has these things? I'm like, yeah, I saw them in, I put, I put Tuppy uh, in Tumpy's <laughs> room. I saw them in Tumpy's room. And Mrs. Garrett 
smartly does not protect the girl. She says people use these to smoke marijuana. Yeah. And I'm glad that that came out, that she didn't so, be like, you're too young and you can't know things. Even showing them on camera, I thought was pretty bold. Like, yeah. this is drug paraphernalia. Yeah. We're going to sure. have our usual sitcom jokes about it. We're also going to say, this is what it's used for, and they shouldn't have sold it to 10-year-olds, yeah. however old they're supposed to be in the show. Yeah. Um, I thought that was that bit was well handled. Yes. Some of this is <laughs> not. Some of this but, is not. Um, I have spoken many times about how there's a situation, there's a crisis, and Mrs. Garrett, competent, goes to Mr. Bradley, the incompetent asshole. But in this case, she's like, we need to talk to Mr. Bradley. Boom. Spot on. Yeah. This is not, do not handle this on your own, Mrs. Garrett. This you got to turn over to the higher authorities. And we get Tootie. There's going to be trouble. (laughs) Make it double. And so Natalie adds to it. (laughs) Somebody said that, I think, was it Paul Padilla? Somebody referenced that in an earlier podcast, and I didn't recognize it. And whoever it was, Paul, if it was you or whoever, I, you are absolutely right. This is where it happened. Um, So then we cut to the girl's bedroom, where Mr. Bradley is conducting an inspection. Everyone's got a an office box, a banker's box, yeah, a banker's box, the brown with, <laughs> file box with the lids, like for their contraband, all like of you, their contraband, <laughs> like you do with, again with all their contraband. Yeah, so he's going through and he pulls out some ridiculous stuff. And at one point, Tootie, what does she have? She's cans of cans of jalapeno dip, jalapeno a lot dip, of cans a lot of jalapeno, jalapeno dip. <laughs> and he says, "What is that about?" I would like to entertain. Tootie just so, (laughs) I like to entertain. It's beautifully delivered. Go, Kim Fields. Um, I want to mention when Mr. Bradley walks out of this room after the inspection, he will cease to exist. He will never be heard from again. Yeah, but he's got a great exit line. He does. We're going to get there. (laughs) Um, But before that, so... um, while he's doing this, he's like, you know, nope, this, I have to do it. This is, there are drugs on campus. He is right. They are illegal. That's right. Um, and uh, he said, and, you know, they found it in these other girls' room and they've been expelled. Their parents have been notified. So we know that Tumpy and Emily are gone. They are mm-hmm. no longer. So Helen Hunt, sadly, you cannot be a part of the, the spinoff uh, next season or anything like that. Um, Blair and Sue Ann, they come in. And, oh, Mr. Bradley says to them, okay, gotta, I'm doing this inspection, empty your purses. And they're like, what, what's the deal? Why, why do you have to do that? And he, he even says, well, and we also know you're a part of the group. Right. So you, you, we know you socialized with those girls. You actually are highly suspect, and he's not wrong. Um, and typically Mr. Bradley is wrong <laughs> and inept and an asshole. Um, so he finds in Blair's pocketbook, he finds the lipstick container. And Sue Ann tries to cover for Blair and says, oh, that's my lipstick. Oh, and he says it's like, it's called high red. Red. Yeah. Get it? High red. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that doesn't seem like you, Blair. And it's true. It's like a blood red 1940s shade. It's like no one, no one in 19, 1979 was all about lip gloss, like pink lip gloss. 1980 rather. Um, He said, this doesn't, he's like, this doesn't seem like your shade, Blair. Sue Ann tries to say that it's hers, and Blair's like, no, it's totally fine, Sue Ann, it's okay. And he opens it and finds, he's like, this isn't even lipstick, it's just a container, but it's empty. What do you keep in here, Blair? Mad money. And he's like, okay, well, it's empty, 
And then what does she say to it? I think Tootie says maybe it got angry and split. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another Tootie line. You're right. Tootie says. Tootie's maybe, on it this episode. <laughs> maybe it got angry and left. And she does a... <laughs> she does a beautiful... Natalie does that a lot. Uh, so yeah, my mad money. Um, but the thing is, it is empty. Thank goodness marijuana doesn't have a scent or an aroma that right. one might be able to pick up on. <laughs> Thank good. Thank goodness marijuana is an odorless drug. <clears throat> but basically, there's nothing in there. So he says, oh, well, okay. Um, I, don't, I forget what, he, what motivates his exit, or he says there's nothing here, but I have to deal with those girls now. And he says, this is my first expulsion. Hopefully, it's my last. Wow. And he exits. He has no yes, idea. Stephen Bradley, that is your last expulsion. That is your last line. Good fucking riddance <laughs> to your character. We are so glad to see piece by piece episode one walk oh. off the screen and disappear into the ether of television history. So Mrs. Garrett says she's returning the bongs and she's, uh, someone said, why are you so sad? And she says, um, uh, no, Mrs. Garrett says she's going to return the bongs and she's going to give them what for simply because they sold them to kids. They're allowed. It's it's perfectly legal to sell a bong. We've all seen them. But the fact that they sold them to Tootie and Natalie, a 12 year old, Natalie is 13 and Tootie is supposed to be 12, Mm -hmm. even though Kim Fields is not. Um, so that's what her beef is. And so she's going to give them what for. So, um, we get a moment and uh, again, Mr. Bradley was looking, looking through the boxes. Apparently someone needed a flower in their hair. (laughs) Everybody walks out and before they're even out the door and out of frame, Sue Ann's like, what did you do with that marijuana cigarette that you were hiding? (laughs) I mean, not even a, what Blair? Oh my God, you almost got caught. You know, it was just like. Okay, you could wait. You might shut the door even, oh. ladies. Just throwing that out there. Um, and so she says, um, and Blair says, I decided to get rid of it after I saw how stupidly you were behaving last night. And Sue Ann says, yeah, I can't believe I was so stupid to use drugs. And you worry that that's going to be the end of the thought for a 1980 very special <laughs> episode. And she says, I was stupid enough to use drugs to make them like me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there you go, hallelujah. That's right. the message of the episode, the peer pressure. Um, <laughs> and then it should be, you know, next time I'm going to do drugs because I want to do drugs. <laughs> uh, they don't say that. Um, and then Blair says, yeah, and I'm done with it too. From now on, I'm sticking to being high on me. And, and then she looks pulls out her mirror. And does that. Hi. <laughs> she gets away with stuff as an actress that in other hands would have just been awful. Oh. And she really is charming. And Lisa Welchel Great is, timing. She is a goddess yeah. at 16. Mm-hmm. She is all the everythings about this show. And I have not stopped singing her praises and I never will. Um, so Mrs. Garrett has a reason to come back now. And someone says... Why are you so sad, Mrs. Garrett? And she's like, I'm not sad. I'm mad. (laughs) I'm damn mad over this and drugs. And another great moment. She turns to Blair and Sue Ann and says, and if I ever You won't. That overlapping bit with Blair saying you won't before she's even done the thought is so well-timed. Beautiful. My favorite moment of the whole thing. And it rings true. 
Yep. It just exactly the moment. fact is you won't that is and because lisa welchel is acting it you know she means it mm-hmm. and she even tags on and make sure there is lipstick in your lipstick blair <laughs> meaning i am still highly suspicious yeah. i am so glad they included that mm-hmm. um that's a great little moment and then we have to end it on a laugh <laughs> or or an awe moment we get both in this the final episode of season one. Natalie says, I have, you know, uh, we don't have our bongs anymore. Here I have all these jelly beans. What am I going to do with them? And Tootie says, oh, we'll find something to do. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last moment, the tableau is um, in reference to the group. Mrs. Garrett says, well, at least our group is back together. And it's not the group. It's not the cast. It is Mrs. Garrett, Tootie, Natalie, Blair, and Sue Ann. Yeah. How prophetic. It is such... Yeah, it just is showing you... I think that they had come to an understanding what they had to get done before the next season started. Mm -hmm. And the episode, while not perfect in any way, you're Mm -hmm. starting to see they are honing in on who are the actual characters we care about, who, who can actually handle the material... And that last moment, we will have many more last moments like that in episodes to come. That kind yeah. of becomes a thing of like, no matter what happened at the end, it's going to be the five of us girls yeah. facing the world together. Just not you, Sue Ann. Yeah, just get out of here. <laughs> it's only because you smoked a... Cause you, you it's smoked, true. <laughs> only because you smoked a joint, which, you know, good for you. Uh, I'm sure there's... In, in TV history, you're somewhere among the top 10 or something. Um, but yeah, it's like we... We already had tried to position Sue Ann and Blair as being frenemies and digging at each other. And with Sue Ann as the the hick versus the city girl. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, oh, we just need to fine tune that. Right. Not have it be the city country thing. Have it be the rich poor thing. Right. And that's where Joe comes in and she's going to be back next week, people. And I'm so <laughs> fucking happy that uh, we get Joe next week that <sighs> we well, survived we it through it. the wilderness here. So, yeah, we've hacked our way through the thicket of season one and it is done. And I, I am so happy. I'm happy you mentioned to me that this episode yeah, had meaning to you. Me too. I'm glad I got in on season one because it means I'm automatically guaranteed a season yes, two episode. You so are. You automatically that. are back. Even though I was thinking season two was a full season. It was not. It was short. That's the one with the writer's strike. Ah, you yeah. were telling me so about that. Short. So it was cut short. It's I think it's 16? That Six, sounds 16 right. 16 or 18. It's It doesn't get past the teens as opposed to a typical 22 or 23. Right. I think the rest of them after that are full. Yeah. So I have I have something I just wanted to share. Looking please back do. As we wrap the, this up, please share. Over our 13 episodes, I think there is a lot to learn here about writing for sitcoms. Please. And elaborate. I think, uh, well, it just... Many of your guests and a lot of people online will say, well, there were just too many girls to focus on in a half-hour sitcom. Mm-hmm. I... I actually disagree with that because if you look at Gilligan's Island, that was seven people. And if you look at the Brady Bunch, there were six kids running around. It's the writing. If you can make the characters distinct, yeah. we can have as many characters as you want in your half hour. The show's like, yeah. I mean, today it's I mean, a whole different world. Yeah, with that Downton stuff, Abbey but, has like, what, oh, 18, sure. 18 but, characters? But sticking with sitcoms, you can have head of the class in the 80s, probably had a dozen kids in that class. And yeah. they were distinctly drawn and we understood who they were and what their function was. And so did they. Mm-hmm. 
just that first episode, well, let alone the different strokes episode, but the first episode, there were just girls bouncing off the walls and it you couldn't get them to calm down enough yeah. to get to know who they were. And the ones who the acting was good enough or there was something about them and the um that the writers suddenly got it. You know, they honed in on some well-written characters. The others had to go. Mm-hmm. I think they could have continued. Uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And yeah. me assuming that everybody realizes how great Helen Hunt is. Well, that's not a, you know, they didn't know. But other characters could have been added. Later, they do try to add some characters. I think there's a princess at one point who gets transferred to the school. Uh, yeah, there's Australian. different characters. The Australian yeah, they girl. Have the, the Japanese girl. The Japanese girl. <laughs> they try, and they yeah. never quite do it. But I think that more could have been done early on to develop additional characters if they wanted to. I don't think the number was a problem. I think it was the thinly written characters. It's, exactly. It was the writing. You couldn't care about. Yeah. And if you think of it, they did. I mean, there was something there in that. You have Tootie Natalie Blair. But also you do have Sue Ann is the country girl. We could have played that up more. Right. We have um, uh, Cindy as the tomboy. And then the... Uh, who else did we Nancy, lose? all she gets to do is talk to talk Roger to on Roger. the phone once they come up with that yeah. thing. And it would maybe, I mean, Nancy, Natalie's kind of the boy, they call Natalie boy crazy a little bit. Yeah. It would have been funnier if Nancy was on the phone every week with a different boy. Right. That would have been a great running gag. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Um, and who am I missing? Who who else? And Molly. Molly Ringwald. Molly, Molly I mean, they had the- They were definitely the, trying different things The chatty <laughs> f- feminist slash political activist kind of, you know, the the woke kid, yeah. as, as they'd say nowadays. That had certainly, that, there was, you know, there was, there were possibilities across the board. Is it that they were like, well, we're paying these girls, everybody's got to have a line. As opposed to, right. let's just do a show about these two, and we'll let the others sit in the background. Right. But it's, you know... Are there, is there ever a two-hander? Later on, do they do one with Jess Blair and Joe in the episode and no one else? Because they should have. Um, I think that the episode where they go home, remember, they, they share a train back to the city. And they each experience their own yeah. situation and they, there. Uh, and, they, and that's a great episode, too, Yeah, where they both go back. So Blair goes to a rich friend's house, Joe goes back to the hood... And they both, and they, they're fighting like they do, and they both realize how much they've rubbed off on each other. You are making me remember my favorite character of all. It's going to be a few seasons, but I'm going to stick with you just so I can talk about her. Jamie Gertz as Muffy. Oh, Muffy. Muffy? Is that right? Muffy, yes. God bless her. You know what? Is she Muffy on Square Pegs, but has a different name and Facts of Life? Like Bootsy. Bootsy, thank you. She's Muffy, a very similar character on Square Pegs. Um, but there's so many good things coming in the future. I can't yeah. wait to and then, hear your podcast for all those episodes and hopefully take part in a few. Uh, I, I hope you do. This is great. <laughs> and you have certainly shown how, uh, wow, you have a deep stake in this, how you I'm, are really committed to... This is to... important to me. The moment I found out you were doing it, I just <laughs> locked it onto my podcast. I'm subscribed. I'm telling others about it. That's awesome. I'm excited you're doing this. And it's, I think it's really going to be rewarding when you get to the episodes that are actually well-written and good. I, I hope so. <laughs> and we are, uh, we are on the precipice, on the yes. cusp right now. <laughs> so thank you so much for closing this loop of this part of the journey. This is the, the dark uh, before the light, the 
we've just made it through the woods and we're finally <laughs> stepping out into the sun. Um, I'll, I'll stop with my bad analogies and <laughs> all that stuff and just say, James Brendlinger, thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. That was James Brendlinger. Isn't he a sweetie? One thing we completely missed is that James also has a radio show. He's known as Jimmy Popular, and he has an 80s new wave show every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. on WPRK. That's 91.5 FM, based out of Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. And you can listen to it anywhere at WPRK.com. So last thoughts I had about the show. Um... The show didn't give Suanna an it-made-me-feel moment. It was maybe by design, but typically these shows have a... And it made me feel terrible, or, you know, the next day I was so strung out or whatever. I, I don't even know, but I'm just talking here. Um, I'm still shaken over this this whole tumpy thing. What the fuck? It sounds like, it doesn't just sound like stumpy, as I say in the show. It also sounds like dumpy. It's like, so tumpy is a combination of stumpy and dumpy. Those are two adjectives I really think every high school age girl wants to have attached to them. I, anyway, it's okay. Just one week, we get Nancy McKeon, everything will be all right. Um, one other thing, last thing I want to fess up to is I keep using Barney Miller as this prime perfect example of an artificial laugh track. Well, full disclosure, I actually haven't seen Barney Miller in years. And I realized for how often I've mentioned it, I should really probably look it up again and revisit it. And I did on YouTube. And sure enough, it's not as bad as I remember. It sounds fine. Um, I, I know in my head what I'm talking about, what the bad 1970s canned laugh track and applause track sounds like. I just have to figure out and remember where I heard it. It might have been some early episodes of Alice. Anyway, stay tuned. I will find it, I promise you, and I will share it as soon as I do. Now, how do I get out of this? How do I close out the show? Easy. I have to go put a flower in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> As always, Let's Face the Facts has been hosted, narrated, edited, produced, and catered by David Almeida. That's me. Subscribe, rate, and please review the show. Check out our website, facethefactspod.com. You know by now you got to drop the let's. That's where you can find fun extras, ways to connect with me by email or social media. And there are also links there to find the show and um, subscribe to it on your favorite podcatchers. I am so honored that you are taking this journey with me. It is so ridiculous. If you've been with me from the start that we have gotten this far and we have survived this together, we are like war buddies. So if you are hearing this, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, I love you. We are survivors. Hashtag survivors. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. And remember, the facts of life are all about you.